Let's turn in our Bibles to the, the chapter of God's Word which we read in the first Timothy, chapter 2. And as God would help me, I'd like to concentrate on verse 5. So we'll read verses 5 and 6 again. First Timothy, chapter 2, and verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Note carefully the terminology. The apostle does not say, I believe there's one God. He does not say, it's my considered opinion after much concentrated study, there is one God. In fact, he doesn't even say the Bible says there's one God. He makes this categoric statement. There is one God and one mediator between God and men. You see, really, if we believe in the plenary and verbal and plenary inspiration of Scripture, it's God, the Holy Spirit, that's speaking through Paul. So with confidence, he can make this categoric statement. There is one God. It has been well said. If you cannot be certain about God, you cannot be certain about anything. It's the Bible itself which states the foundation of God stands sure. And if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You might very well ask at this point, listen, what are we doing looking and studying at a letter written to someone that's been dead for over 2,000 years. Can we not have something contemporary, something relevant for today? Why are we reading a 2,000-year-old letter? Answer? This, it, it, Timothy, who wrote the letter, sorry, to, who was receiving the letter, lived in a multi-faith, pluralistic, we can say modern, post-modern age, terrifyingly, terrifyingly similar to our day today. Pluralism, multi-faith, anything goes, don't be sure about anything. Just to talk about your opinions and your beliefs and your conclusion. Don't be dogmatic, whatever you be. 
You see, really, there's nothing new under the sun. Mankind is ruined, and mankind does not like God. I suppose we could say this one verse summarizes the whole message of the Bible, and maybe some would argue it could stand without a context. There is one God, there's one mediator between God and men. As God would help us, let's look carefully at what is being said here. There is one God. What does that mean? It means there is, that when we speak about one God, we are speaking about something divine. Something otherworldly. Something sacred. Something spiritual. Something religious. And something vastly superior to humanity. Vastly superior. When we speak about one God, we're speaking about the first cause of everything. When we speak about God, we're speaking about someone self-existent. I just think of that, self-existent. The first cause of everything that is. We're speaking about someone that is truly independent. Someone that depends on nothing and no one. And you can speak about the converse of that. Everything is totally dependent upon him. But he himself alone is truly independent. He is the creator of everything. God is the is the lawgiver. Where does law begin? Who who can speak about law? Surely the person who started it all off. God, there is one God, there is one judge all the earth. In the last analysis, one lawgiver. You see, to speak about that is we're really speaking about when we say one God, we're also really saying one authority. In the last analysis, one authority. What does authority mean? I would put it this way. It means having the right to issue commands. Having the right to issue commands. We live in a day that does not like authority. Does not like being told things. But we're talking about truth. Not what we like. God is the sole proprietor of 
everything, including our lives. He owns us. He brought us into existence. And he placed us on planet Earth to present the image of God on planet Earth. He has the right to issue commands. He has the right. Ultimate permission, ultimate license, if you like, ultimately resides in God because God made everything. God owns everything. The word authority is derived from the word author. An author knows all about his book, doesn't he? He's written it. God's the author everything. Therefore, God has the right to issue commands. Is the ultimate authority. To speak about one God also is really saying in the last analysis there's one law, one set of rules. That one God has delegated authority to, to, to governments and states, for example, but ultimately in the last analysis, there's one set of rules. To have two set of laws is actually to have two gods when you think about it, when you work it all out. You cannot separate God from law or from authority because he started it all off. That one God is a person, the ultimate person. God is not an it. God is not a force like electricity. No, no. God is the ultimate person, the ultimate being now. Our catechism teaches us infinite, eternal, unchangeable. God is infinite. What does that mean? It means having no limit, not having a boundary. You cannot say God is this size or you're making him that size. You're limiting him to that size. However massive it might be, you can't say that. It's infinite. No boundary. No limit. You say, I can't understand that. Now you're beginning to understand. The finite and not understand the infinite. God is infinite. You and I are finite. We have limitations. And it is difficult to grasp. 
God is incomprehensible at one level. It's not so vital. What is vital is that we believe he is infinite. God cannot increase. He, of course, cannot decrease. But neither can he increase because he's infinite. It's a difficult for we finite beings to grasp that. All of God's presence is everywhere, all of the time. Now just think of that. All of God's presence is everywhere, all of the time. You see, I can't get my head around that. You don't need to. You must believe it. You must believe it. You won't get your head around it. All through eternity, we'll be learning more and more and more about this infinite God. There's one infinite God. He's not just infinite. He's eternal. Now, we can't get ahead around that either. Time does not refer to God. Time does not refer to God. Think about this. For God, the past, the present, the future, it's all the present with God. He's an eternal being. No such thing as time. History is the present God. The future is the present with God. He's eternal as well as infinite. Our Bible tells us one day is as a thousand years. A thousand years as one day. It's impossible to grasp, but we have to believe it. Infinite, eternal, unchangeable. Nothing within God will change. Nothing outside of God can change him. He's made everything for himself. Nothing outside of God and nothing outside has the ability to change God. And nothing within him will change him. He's unchangeable. Wonderful. Now, there can only be one God. All right? Logically, down to straightforward geography. If all of God's presence is everywhere, all of the time, logically, there can't be two gods. Many may purport to be a God with a small g, now infinite, eternal, unchangeable. 
there is one God. It is, and it is the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. There is all. I'm so glad our verse does not stop there. I'm so glad it goes on to say, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. What is a mediator? What's a mediator? I suppose we would say a go-between. But here's, here's a bit more technical. A mediator is a person who intervenes between two contesting parties for the purpose of making peace. Let's say that again. A mediator is a person who intervenes between two contesting parties for the purpose of making peace. Now, what does that infer? What does that imply? Imagine this one God. Some have a controversy with them. Eh? Oh, madness. Taking on that one God. Arguing with them. Disagreeing with them. You know what's, you know my personal definition of sin? Correct it, if you will. Disagreeing with God. That's sin. Disagreeing with God. You see, I can be keeping all the commandments. I can be keeping them all. And then God gives me cancer. I say, I'm not happy, God. I don't agree with that. I don't like that. I'm not happy with you. That is sin. I'm keeping all the commandments. I disagree with his will. That's sin. What a controversy with God. That great God that's so great we can't comprehend him. It implies controversy. That the fact that there is a mediator implies man is at war with God. What a nerve. What a nerve. It's a situation. But it also implies reconciliation is desirable. If I think we can say reconciliation is possible, you know, is a mediator between God and man. Man has the nerve of a quarrel with God. But reconciliation, there's a, a reconciliation is, is possible. There's a, it's desirable. Now we must understand 
God is under no obligation. No obligation. That's the definition of grace. Mercy you don't deserve. If you deserve it, if you think, well, wait a minute, I've done pretty well. I've had a hard time and I've done pretty well. I think God's kind of duty bound. If he's going to give mercy to anyone, he's kind of duty bound to give it to me. Listen, if we reason like that, if we reason and say, look, look, we, we really ought to get it when you, when you look at others, then we've moved from mercy to the Department of Justice. If you think in any way you deserve mercy or heaven, you have moved to the Department of Justice. Mercy, grace, is receiving kindness you simply do not deserve. And the amazing thing about a mediator is God provided it. The party offended, the party objected, takes the initiative and provides the mediator. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. The fact that there is one mediator implies, infers, something has been done about this controversy between God and man. God did something. You and I did nothing. Because by nature, am I right? Are there any unconverted non-Christians listening to me? Tell me, am I right? If you're honest with yourself, you don't really want to be saved. You don't really want to be changed. That's our, that's our basic problem. We don't want it. We don't desire it. But God desires it. The one offended desires it and made the first move. Provided his son. Now listen. If God had said. I'll. Permit. Principle of substitution to apply. You see. You'll notice in the commandments. Sorry. In the um, Lord's prayer. In one version it says. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And in the other uh, record, uh, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So we learn from the mouth of the Savior, sin is a debt we owe to God. But listen, what kind of debt is it? Sin is a certain kind of debt. For example, if you owe your garage £100 and you can't pay it, your friend may go along and say, look, 
I want to pay that debt, that, that invoice you sent my friend. He has no money. I want to pay it for him. The garage owner is perfectly happy to take that debt. He signs a check for £100. The principle of substitution applies. Okay? But supposing somebody is guilty of murder and he's sentenced to 25 years imprisonment, can that friend go along to the authorities and say, look, I'll go into prison instead of my friend. I haven't much of a life anyway. I'll go into prison. I'll serve his sentence for him. Can you do that? No. Why? Because the nature of that debt is non-transferable. That is the nature of sin. But God has said, in the case of human beings, I will allow the principle of substitution to apply. He did not do that for angels who fell. That's why angels can't get their head around it and desire to look into these things. Why did God do it? Or these wretches that brought the curse into the universe. And he didn't do it for us holy beings. God permits the principle of substitution to apply in the case of the human race. Now we could go on on that, but I didn't really mean to mention that. But that's the significance of the, the fact that it says who the mediator is, the man, Christ Jesus. The man, Christ Jesus, the second person of the Godhead from heaven. He must be flesh and blood. And listen, when you think about God, when you think about Christ, the mediator, he is not 50% God and 50% man. He is 100% God and 100% man. He's unique. One mediator. One mediator. Hebrews 2.14 tells us, because it was flesh and blood that sinned, flesh and blood must pay the price. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, speaking about Christ, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now what is the work of a mediator? I'll just mention three things. Number one, the mediator must Placate the anger of God by atoning for the sin of human beings. Every human being that will be in heaven, their sin must be paid for. God has sworn irrevocably, sin must be paid for, and it must be paid for by death, by blood. God can't change, we noted. 
He can't say, oh, but look, look, I really want that person to be in heaven with me. Well, overlook his sin. Never, ever think God overlooked. Never think like that. If God did that, he'd no longer be God. He'd no longer be holy. He must punish sin. What he has done is provided a substitute. The man, Christ Jesus, who is God, the second person. And he hates the anger of God. And that's what he did at the place called Calvary. And that's what the centurion noted. Three men on a cross. He said, that one in the middle. Different. It's not the way normal human beings die. They don't shout with a loud voice. If they speak at all, it's in a whimper. But he saw that man was also God. Truly, he was the son of God. So the first work of a mediator is to placate, put out the anger of God. There's a second issue a mediator must do. He must make both parties friends. Both parties friends. That's the problem. We're not interested. Am I right? Are you interested? Are you interested in having your sins forgiven? Are you interested in being at peace with God? There's one mediator. The man Christ Jesus, who paid God for all the sins of everyone who will be in heaven. He's got to make us want it. And there's only one person that can make you want salvation. And that's the Holy Spirit. So here's something the Holy Spirit has to do. Sorry, here's something the mediator has to do. He's to make sinners want Christ. He has to make sinners hate sin and fight against it for the rest of their lives. Who can do that? Only the third person of the Holy Spirit, of the Godhead. Christ, the second person, has the, has the authority. The, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Christ can send the Holy Spirit to change you, to change me. One mediator. The other thing is to ask, look, he must be willing. He must be able. He must die voluntarily. And you know, we must never ever think that God the Father had to twist, as it were, I speak reverently, we must never think that he did twist the arm of the Son to be the substitute. Go on, do it. No, no, no. It's everlasting love. He laid down his life voluntarily, as the next verse says, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now, we'll just quickly go. There, there is one mediator because only one is able to send the Holy Spirit. And there's only one that was willing to suffer. That was whose 
death would pay for all the elect of God, all the people of God. Now, I just want to say quickly at the end here, a ransom. He gave himself a ransom. Now, a ransom has a... What do you think of a ransom? It has the same idea as we have today. The idea of the hijacking of aeroplanes, political hostages, and children held at gunpoint. You know, the captured children say, right, they're our hostage unless you pay such money into the bank, unless you let out such a prisoner or something. That's the same idea. It's exactly the same. But there are differences, and I just want to mention three very quickly. Number one, a ransom is required because of evil contriving. Oh, we can get money this way. We can get our, our, our friend out of prison this way. It's, it was moved, started by evil. Christ is a ransom motivated by everlasting love. Everlasting love. God so loved the world. Even son. The motivation in this ransom, what started off the whole procedure, love. Everlasting love. You see, God is love. Here's a second difference. A ransom is usually paid for the release of innocent captives. You have innocent school children being held at gunpoint and the ransom is to pay for their release. Not so with Christ. Christ gave himself a ransom not for innocent people like you and me, but guilty, guilty sinners like you and me. A ransom it's usually for the release of innocent. Christ gave himself for guilty, hell-deserving sinners like you and me. A third difference, a ransom is usually paid to the hijacker. But in this case, the devil never got the ransom. The ransom was not paid to Satan. As Hebrews 9.14 says, he offered himself to God. He offered. You see, it's to be an offering. It's to be voluntary. He offered himself to God. The devil wasn't happy to let sinners go. He isn't happy about it at all. In fact, he spends the rest of our lives trying to get us back into his clutches. But it will never happen. It will never happen. And that he was overpowered by the blood of Christ. The death of Christ was so powerful, Satan couldn't stop it. That's why the safest place in the universe is under the shelter of the blood. And by that, by the term the blood of Christ, we simply mean that Christ's death was accepted as a sacrifice, a punishment for our sins. 
Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And Satan had no power to stop Christ plucking us out of his hand. Christ can pluck anyone out of, Christ, of the devil's hands. The devil cannot pluck anyone out of Christ's hand. That's the gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you understand why Paul is so dogmatic? One God, one mediator. There is a mediator. There is a savior. And Satan has no power to stop anyone who applies to that mediator for salvation. But do listen to this finally. That one meteor, mediator is your only second chance. There will be no third chance. There will be no second mediator according to scripture. Why would you want another? Why would you want anyone else but the Son of God who gave himself a ransom? And who says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. May God the Holy Spirit make his word effectual to every one of us. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, be pleased to take the things of Christ and apply them to our souls. Unite us to Christ in a living, vital faith. Keep us in your love. Keep us in your fear. For we pray all in Christ's name, for Christ's sake. Amen.